But you know, we're celebrating Harmony Day, uh, and, and that's why we did uh, International Sunday because uh, we just thought, you know, our church is in Vic Park, and there's lots and lots of different cultures, lots of different people, ethnicities. I'm looking forward to what we're going to have for morning tea after uh, the message. I, I shouldn't be bringing attention to that because I want you guys to be listening to this. But um, but one of the things that I learned just this week, I was listening to a podcast, and this person mentioned uh, that Christianity is the most diverse religious movement across the face of the planet, both in history and presently. And that was something that was really in interesting to me because as I've been reading the Bible and, and, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about how Jesus says that we are to disciple the nations, right? We are to go make disciples of all nations and the nations means ethnos, which, you know, is, is possibly better translated ethnicities. And that has come to pass in that most ethnicities, most races, most people groups have been reached with the gospel. And so when we celebrate something like Harmony Day, we, are, we get to celebrate the fact that, that, that our brothers and sisters don't all have the same skin tone, don't all have the same language, but we all have the same heart. And, and someone made this uh, claim, especially in America, maybe not so much in Australia, but you know, because of our common faith, we have more in common with someone who's grown up in the slums of Africa, but has the same faith as us, than someone who is in one of those rich multi-million dollar uh, buildings that don't have faith. How cool is that thought? That, you know, we in this room have a commonality. We have a kinship because of what Jesus has done. You know, our harmony that we experience isn't, isn't because we look the same or we sound the same. It's because we have the same heart, and, and, and I love that in our church. And, you know, hopefully over, over the years, we're going to see more and more ethnicities as part of our church family, and then that means we get to have more food, more color uh, during International Sunday. Isn't that what we all want? Um, so I love that, Sandy, that your husband knows that we do good food and good company. And um, so please, please um, be a part of... Um, our Easter family dinners as well next week. Uh, a part of it is that we're going to dedicate to commemorating Easter. As we were thinking about Easter and we were thinking about what we wanted to do as a church to celebrate Easter, we thought, you know what, sometimes in this corporate setting, uh, it becomes just a, a kind of a normalish kind of a Sunday. There is no real time for us to, to reflect and to really just have a moment. And we thought, what better than to have a meal? The Last Supper uh, was were celebrated just before Jesus died. And we thought, why not we have this meal together, just as Jesus did with his disciples uh, 2,000 years ago. And, and I think it's going to be a beautiful night. Uh, I hear that uh, if you go to Stephen's house, there might even be a lamb roast. Maybe? No. no he's backing out. He's backing out. <laughs> just because of the whole Passover lamb thing. I'm expecting like this full lamb spit thing that, you know, you go there and it's like, yep. If anyone wants to donate one to the Easter family dinner at ours, please let us know. I would love, love a lamb roast spit. Anyway, today we're going to uh, talk about discipleship. We're going to go into week three of our discipleship series. I hope that you've been enjoying it. We've been talking about how, um, you know, 
last week I, I broached the topic of how uh, discipleship is about growth. We need to see transformation in people. If there's no transformation, then the discipleship is probably not quite uh, taking place. Uh, it, it, we we want to see people completely change. And, and that's something that is really close to our heart at Lyft. Our second core value is that Lyft is a place where ceilings are meant to be broken. Yeah? Some of you know that, many of you don't, that's okay. Uh, one of our core values is that we want to be a place where ceilings are meant to be broken. And why we use that phrase is because it's very visual and so I hope you can see it. But so often in our lives, we, we place ceilings over ourselves or there are ceilings placed over us. You know, sometimes it's our experiences, it's our upbringing, uh, it's things that have happened to us, is the way that we think, the way that we act, what we believe. And we have these ceilings over our life, and the ceilings stop us from being able to experience the fullness of Jesus' life. And so we believe that we need to be a growing people. Each of us individually and corporately as a church, we need to be growing because God has got more life for us. And so today, I want to talk about growth. I want to talk about how growth happens, or maybe you can call it the process of growth. It's something that I've been studying uh, over the last few months as I prepare for my uh, research project with my um, studies, and, and I'm really excited, probably because it's like it's my thermal, is the thing that I enjoy, and so I might go a little bit quick. If I'm going a bit too quick, maybe just give me a little signal, slow down, uh, or, or, or back it up, Nate, you know, you're going a bit too crazy. But before we touch on those things, I want to just talk about very, very quickly one myth about growth. And one of the myths about growth is that with the Holy Spirit, growth is instant. And that's the myth. That's not the Bible. And uh, I've been thinking about that and, and you know, as a, as a pastor, I get to sit with people, I get to talk to people, and I, I meet a lot of disappointed people because change hasn't happened. And they go, why is it that God hasn't brought this change in my life yet? And in particular, one verse tends to stand out, and it's in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, which says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new has come. And then people would then think, because I am a new creation, doesn't that mean that all of the bad things in my life is gone? Every bad temptation, every bad desire, every issue in my life is meant to have disappeared. If not, perhaps I'm not in Christ. And maybe if that's the case, then either Christ has rejected me or maybe I don't know how to receive Christ. And people go down this long track of why hasn't change happened in my life and they go, is it that God doesn't love me or that I don't know how to receive Christ? And we go on and on and on. Now, as I looked in this, the thing about 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 is that it's not talking about you as an individual person in terms of what is happening inside. Rather, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 talks about our status in Christ. What I mean is that when we receive Christ in our lives, we are made righteous with God. 
sin has brought separation into our lives so that we are no longer in communion with God, but salvation means that we are made righteous with God. Righteous is just this big word that means that we have right standing with God. It's not that you are perfect, but it means that you are perfectly with God. (laughs) Does that make sense? And so this righteousness that we have immediately changes our status, but it does not change our situation. Do you get that? When it says we are a new creation, we are made new, we have this uh, uh, pureness about us that God is able to come in contact with because God no longer sees us as sinners, but as sons and daughters. That is the beauty of what Christ has done. But this verse does not talk about the struggles that we will face as human beings. This does not talk about the growth that we still need to go through. There is a process of justification being made right with God, and then there's the process of sanctification, which is where we are becoming more and more like Christ. That is a process of discipleship. I want to prove this to you in Scripture. It says in Romans 5, 3 to 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want you to note this. If we glory, if we appreciate suffering, because suffering helps us to grow, that means that growth is not instant. Does that make sense? Growth cannot be instant the way that we want it to be because the Bible actually warns us that growth comes with a side of suffering. And that's probably one of the least encouraging things I'm going to say this morning. If you want to grow, suffer. If you want to grow, suffer. It's what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to pray and we are going to have morning tea. No, we're not. I'm going to talk to you about why suffer. But I want you to understand that the Bible is very clear in many passages that we are going to face many trials, many persecutions, many things that are not going to feel right or great or nice or or even good. But those things, part of it, I'm not saying all of it, but part of it is because if we want to grow, suffering is a key for it. And I'm going to unpack with you this morning, uh, uh, first through social sciences, that's part of my studies. I'm going to uh, show you what psychology has found in how human beings grow, not physically, but in particularly internally, our character, our personality, our, our insides, uh, how we grow. I'm going to go first into the science, and then I'm going to bring you to the Word of God and show you how they relate, okay? You ready for this? Now, in social sciences, there is uh, a concept called a schema. Not a scheme, not this plot to take over the world, but a schema. Anyone heard of schemas before? Some people have. And a schema is basically a way of organizing your thoughts, feelings, and actions. Uh, not, sorry, not your actions, but your thoughts and your feelings, your perceptions, in a way that helps you to predictably do something. 
Okay, so basically, you know, we've got all this information coming at us all the time. I look at my little son, and, and as he goes through life, right now, everything is so fascinating. He finds the smallest, tiniest piece of dust on the floor, and he points at it and picks it up and puts it in my hand because he thinks it's fascinating. Why is it that 35 years on, when I see a piece of dirt, I don't see it? is because my schema has built it to the point where that dirt does not matter to me. Does that make sense? So schemas are shortcuts. They are frameworks where we organize all of our thoughts and feelings to be able to understand how this world works and how I belong and how I'm going to respond, how I'm going to act in this world. Okay? So that's the big word schema. So what I have been uh, reading up on recently is a concept called post-traumatic growth. And basically, um, uh, some of the key authors, they looked into this whole concept of when trauma happens, trauma can produce a great amount of distress, right? When you think about someone who's witnessed a terror attack uh, or, or someone that's gone, uh, who's witnessed uh, uh, or been in a terrible car accident or, or seeing a loved one die uh, through a very uh, difficult illness, those are traumatic and they can bring about a lot of stress. In fact, there's something called post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, which we all know about. And, 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 um, and so... Psychology has looked a lot into the whole stress, distress, and um, dis uh, maybe even dysfunction side of what happens through traumatic events. But then researchers suddenly started to realize not everyone that goes through a traumatic event turns out uh, in, in a very difficult, uh, lowered well-being state. Um, some people also seem to grow through their distress. And, and they found out over time that it's not so much that some people have distress and some people have growth. Uh, they can coexist, but some people seem to, in the middle of their distress, be able to grow. And it's interesting because these researchers actually call it, they grow in wisdom. I don't know if they are Christians or whether they went into the Bible to use this word, but they literally say that post-traumatic, uh, sorry, Yes, post-traumatic growth is a growing in wisdom, is wisdom. Why they call it wisdom is because it's not just uh, an understanding, it's not just a thinking, but it's a thinking and feeling about how the world works and being able to live in it in a more complex, a more nuanced kind of a way, right? And so they started to go into why do some people grow and some others don't? What, what's, what sets people apart? How do some people grow through difficult circumstances? And they, they found this uh, a process, if you will, and the process starts with a person's schemas. We all grow up with schemas. We grow up with a way of thinking, a way of acting, a framework. And then a traumatic event happens or a stressful event happens, suffering, if you will, happens. And what then happens is that our framework gets broken down. It gets deconstructed. In fact, the deconstruction of our schemas uh, uh, is partly why we feel stress is because suddenly, how I thought the world works doesn't apply anymore. Does that make sense? So I used to think that the world was nice and pleasant, but suddenly this traumatic event happened, so maybe the world isn't nice and pleasant anymore. And so you're in this place where, like, how do I work with this? 
And so you go into a deconstructed mode. It is distressing. It is uncomfortable. It is not nice. But what happens is that people who grow in the middle of this mess, they start to reconstruct and build new schemas that include the old schemas broken down and includes this new experience and build it up to something that is more complex and more relevant to more of life. Does that make sense? And so you have a schema, an old schema, you break it down, and then you reconstruct it. That's the simplified way of talking about how we grow. Okay? And it makes sense, doesn't it? How do we actually grow? We grow because we have a more complex understanding of this world. So what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, the Bible has lots to say about this, but there's one particular verse that I absolutely love, and is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, and it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul's been talking about how God has saved us, how God has, has uh, uh, brought salvation to us, and how amazing it is, and he says that the appropriate response Response, and therefore, therefore, we are to be living sacrifices. Now, this does not mean as being a living sacrifice that I'm going around trying to find ways to die. Okay, that's not what it's saying. You're meant to be living for God. You're meant to be living every part of your life for God. Uh, a part of the discipleship is getting us to this place of learning how to be an effective living sacrifice. And so uh, Paul talks about that as, as, as a therefore statement. Being Christians, we, we learn to be living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. And then he goes on to say, how do you do this? He says, well, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I'm going to break this down because there's some really interesting thoughts in here. Paul says, right, we're meant to be a living sacrifice, and then he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. The word conform can be a difficult word for us to understand because it, it has a very strong outside kind of perspective, doesn't it? I'm forcing you to conform. I'm pressuring you to conform. I am exerting uh, uh, some kind of force, manipulation perhaps, to make you conform. But the word conform doesn't necessarily mean that there's an external force. In fact, another way to say conform is to fashion. You know, when, something, when you are, when you are uh, making a vase, you are fashioning it into a vase. You know, you're not, uh, you, you are conforming it to a certain shape, but you're also fashioning it into a certain shape. And so Paul says, do not conform, do not fashion yourself according to the patterns of this world. The word patterns of this world, to me, sounds a lot like schemas. See, the world has certain ideas on how this world is meant to act. This world has a certain set of frameworks that tell us how we are meant to fit in. In today's day and age, uh, a part of this uh, pattern is that I need to be accepting and loving of every single human being, even if I do not agree with their point of view. And I need to do it in a way that basically says, I accept your point of view. That seems to be the way that the media promotes this 
pattern of the world. And, and, and so that's something that we've got to be uh, uh, understanding of. And I also think that another part of the pattern of this world that you might have understood or observed is, is through the use of technology. I think it's really interesting that, that nowadays teenagers or maybe even younger would go to YouTube and watch other kids playing a computer game. Like, for me, it's like, I want to play the computer game. Why are you going to YouTube to watch other people play a computer game? What is that all about? Well, they're watching to learn the techniques because uh, this person is an expert at this game and this person knows how to play the game well. And so what I'm doing when I'm watching this person play is that I am conforming to his or her patterns in playing that game so that I can be more like this person which is successful. You can talk about that with computer games, you can talk about that with beauty, you can talk about that with body image, you can talk about that with political viewpoints, you can talk about this till the cows come home. Media is promoting all of these patterns and we have to understand that it's very easy for us to want to conform or fashion ourselves according to all of these patterns. And what Paul is saying is do not fashion yourself according to these patterns. And then he says, but be transformed, all right? But be transformed. The word transform uh, or be uh, uh, to change. We know that. Change is, change is awesome. And, and this is where I want to point out something. Paul says do not fashion yourself according to the ways of this world, but be transformed. And here I want to point out something. Even though the word conform seems to be active, and the word transform is also active, what I think is happening is this. If we don't transform, we have already conformed. It's something that I want you to think about. As Christians, if we are not transformed, then we necessarily must be conforming. Change as a disciple is an absolute necessity because when we don't change, that means we are staying. Where we're staying, we're staying according to the conformity that we have already practiced. And this is a dangerous thing because what we are doing is that we're fashioning ourselves according to what the world thinks. What is success? I want you to think about this. What is your version of success? What is your understanding of achievement? Because when you dig deep into what you think achievement is and you're honest with yourself, quite often you will find that those understanding of achievement and success is based on worldly things and not on biblical things. I've had many times where things have popped up where I'm like, man, is that what I think successful is? I used to think that having a big church is the number one success mark. I used to think that the more people that come to this church, it means the better preacher I am. I've come to learn that that is not true. There is no correlation between how well I preach or speak and the size of the church. I can go to other churches that are many times bigger than ours, and they will say that was the best message that they've heard. But does that mean that when I come back here, suddenly the message falls flat? Same message, different audiences, doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. Some people think that the dollar, the dollar amount in your bank account determines whether you're successful or not. Why? And, and yes, there is wisdom in, in many of these thoughts, but if you go deep, 
what is your version of success that could show you where you are conforming to the ways of this world? Anyway, going on with the verse, it says, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this word renewing can kind of bring about this whole sense of like something new coming and replacing the old, yeah? You know, that kind of is a picture that I get. The word renewing can also mean renovating, the renovation of your mind, yeah? It is not necessarily uh, uh, something new coming in, but it's actually a deconstruction and then a reconstruction, just like what I've been talking about, right? And then he says, by the renewing of your mind. Now, in the Greek understanding, it's very different from our Western understanding of mind. The word mind for us means thoughts, but the word mind in the Greek means uh, it includes the faculties of perceiving and understanding and those of feeling, judging, and determining. To me, it sounds a lot like schemas. And basically, what I think is a helpful way of seeing this is by the renewal of our heart and mind. There's a better way of understanding that word in our context today. You see, when I started to read post-traumatic growth, one of the things that was interesting that the author said is that this is not just about changing your thoughts, but it's changing your thoughts and emotions, linking your thoughts and emotions. Why trauma is so good at helping us change is because trauma includes both thoughts and emotions. And when we go through difficult life situations, those feelings that are attached to the situation and the thoughts that are attached to the situation is what carries us through this potential process of growth. And this is what we need to understand, that God is not just asking you for nice thoughts. God is asking for both your thoughts and your emotions to be linked together in a place that is not conformed to the patterns of this world, but rather is fashioned after what God is saying about us. The process of growth, therefore, is a, is a process of breakdown, confusion, and then rebuilding. Now, I'm going to give you a story from my life to help you understand. I feel like a lecturer this morning. Am I coming across like a lecturer? Okay. I'm going to tell you a story so it doesn't feel like a lecture. But um, as, as I was reading this, I, I recognized that this process was uh, front and center of one of the seasons of my life. Uh, basically, uh, over uh, probably more like 15 years ago, I experienced my first and only breakup before um, Beck. It was, I, I had a relationship that lasted for 10 months. It was a relationship that I thought was going to lead to marriage. It ended up um, with a breakup where she basically said, we are going in different directions and so we're not gonna be together anymore. And then she moved churches so that I will not see her much anymore. Uh, some people actually know this girl, um, great girl, terrible life um, circumstance. But this, I don't know whether you would call it traumatic, uh, but it was definitely enough to deconstruct a lot of schemas for me. 10-month relationship led to a six-month recovery process. That was my story. That, that's what happened for me. And some people were like, 10 months? Man, why do you take so long to get over it? Well, the thing is that God was actually leading me through a season of great growth, even though it was also a season of great struggle and personal suffering. And it was a really difficult time because God was not just taking this 
healing me through this relationship. I was actually breaking down old schemas. You see, when I got together with this, um, with this girl, I had uh, made a bargain with God. I said to God, God, I will serve you uh, for one year, and then you will give me a girlfriend. And that is what happened. And so I thought that I had earned uh, the privilege of this relationship. Now you guys are laughing. Most of you guys have made stupid things like, God, if the bus comes right now, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Come on. You don't laugh at me, but that was how I thought. God is transactional. The God that I serve would be fair, right? God is fair. Yeah? God is fair. So if I work hard for you, God, then you work hard for me. And what I want, because you say that if I put you first, then you give me the desires of my heart. Well, God, this is the desire of my heart. I want a relationship. So that was, that was one of the schemas that was being broken down in this breakup. And it was extremely difficult because it was linked to my understanding that God is good because He gives me good things. I worked hard for this relationship. You gave me what I thought was good. You took away what was good. So what does this mean about good God? I actually went to a place where I was like, how do I trust the God that takes away good things from my life? And why it took me six months is because it was a lot of stuff that was coming up. And there was another thing that was attached to my identity. I thought that because I was in a relationship with someone who was willing to spend the rest of their life with me, that means that I am worth being around for the rest of a person's life. My value was therefore shot to pieces when she said, I'm not spending the rest of my life with you. Suddenly, I had this understanding that maybe I'm not that great a person. I had this realization that maybe I am a terrible person, or at least that's what I thought this situation meant. And so in the midst of this deconstruction that was all of these framework that was crumbling apart. At that point in time, I was already a staff member at the church. I was in an admin position. And I literally thought, I'm going to quit because I don't know if I can serve this God for the rest of my life. And I thought, I'm just going to go back to psychology because that's where the big bucks is and um, I'll be comfortable and I can make this work. And... Um, so why am I trying so hard? Because no one ever recognizes me in this church. Uh, I'm just the guy that's on the band every single week and then doing all of the administration that my pastor doesn't want to do. Um, so maybe I should go somewhere else to find value. Those were literally, I, I'm sharing with you my thoughts because my framework of understanding how my world worked no longer operated that God is good, that I was actually on the right path, that I'm a valuable person, that, that, that I was going somewhere in my life. All of those frameworks were destroyed in a moment. And it led me to be in a state of confusion. But in the middle of this state of confusion, I started to, to actually ask, who is this God that I'm serving? Because I think most of the things that I know about God was handed down to me through my wonderful parents who brought me to church every single week, through all the messages that I've heard, but I don't know if I really noticed God. And, and, and I started to read books, I started to listen to podcasts, I started to, to, to ask a lot of questions. There, there was no question that to me was off limits. 
in that season, it's like, if there was anything that was against the character of God or anyone that was, any question that seemed to be against the goodness of God, I want it in. I wanted to ask those questions. I wanted to know how those questions are meant to be answered. I asked about questions like, can a person lose their salvation? Uh, what does it mean that when God uh, in the Bible says that He has elected us, does that mean that He chooses us? Does that mean that He cannot choose me? Does that mean that He can reject me? Does that mean that sometimes He is just really flipping and He snaps His finger and suddenly I go through suffering? How does the book of Job work? Why is there a book in the Bible where God allows him to suffer? What is this thing about hoping in God? Whenever I hope in God, I get hurt. I get trodden down. I feel like things don't work. Hurt comes with hope. And I'm like, so what does hope mean if hope hurts? Those are the thoughts that were going through my mind, but I think thanks to God, His grace didn't allow me just to walk away. I continued to search and I continued to build a greater and deeper understanding of Him. I learned that God's not transactional, He's relational. I learned that working for God doesn't mean a one-to-one -one exchange. I don't get to bargain with God what my wages are. He determines what they are. And the thing is that He knows what is best for me. I learned that, that my worth and my value doesn't come in what I produced or what I have or what I possess. It comes in who God says I am. And so now I need to know what God says about me, who God says I am, because if I don't know who God says I am, I'm liable to go around chasing relationships, chasing success, chasing uh, uh, visibility, uh, chasing people acknowledge, uh, people, people's acknowledgement and the affirmation for my sense of worth and value. I needed to learn a different way. And I did learn a different way. I learned how to trust that God truly loves me. I learned how to understand God's love for me. I learned that after 20 years plus of living, the whole phrase, Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so, did not make any more sense to me. It was a meaningless, childish song that was helpful when I was a kid, but no longer helpful now. And I needed to understand at a deeper level, not just because the Bible tells me so. How does God love me? I learned about salvation. And salvation is not just Jesus dying on the cross so that you are no longer a sinner. There is so much more attached to this. It was in that season that I started to look into the doctrine of adoption, which we're going to talk about in a couple of months' time. That started us on our journey to be where we are, to, where I am today because of that season. That season deconstructed me. It broke me. But that season also led me to a place where today I'm still living in the consequences, the outcomes of the growth that I went through. So Christian, when you go through a difficult time, it's not because God hates you or He's punishing you. It's because He sees greater in you and you're meant to work through this. Christian, understand that just because you are a Christian doesn't mean that your mind's always on the things of Christ. You have to grow and break down the old ways of thinking. Some of you right now, I believe Holy Spirit is speaking to you about those schemas, about those frameworks and beliefs that continue to plague you. There are some people that continue to live in, in, in depression, in anxiety, with worry, with, with all of these things that are holding you back. And that ceiling needs to be broken. How it gets broken often is with the hammer of suffering. 
But this is one of the cool things about post-traumatic growth as a theory. They started off looking at traumatic situations. They looked at 9-11, they looked at uh, um, Hiroshima, they looked at uh, all of these uh, different real big, uh, uh, Hurricane Katrina, they looked at all those big things. But after a while, they started to, to go, does it always require something of that kind of level of loss and suffering? And they started to go, no, anytime a person is challenged in the way that they're thinking and decides to grow, this process works. You can get into a car accident and lose both your legs before you grow. Yes. But you can today, through the words that I'm forcefully speaking into your ears, use that as enough of a reason to consider what frameworks you're working according to. Now, there's one other thing that I learned that was really interesting because I actually did this after the breakup, and um, I didn't know why. Um, but after, uh, as I was in the healing process, uh, I started to talk to people. It was weird. You know, I'm a very private person, and, and I started to, uh, in particular, there was this uh, couple who were uh, my mentors, and I literally uh, would alternate calling between the husband and wife, and I would call each of them maybe twice a week, so that covered me for four days. You know, and I was like, yes, I got, I, I got the husband, next day I'll call the wife, give them a break and then I'll call them again, and, and I had a whole bunch of friends, and I was just talking, I was talking, I was talking about the pain, I was talking about the things that I was discovering about myself, the things I was discovering about God, the things, even when it was in, a, in his infancy, I was just talking about it. I just wanted to talk about it. I've never been in such a place since as well, that was one season, and I was like, it was just weird for me, because I even started talking to people that were probably more immature than me, and I was like, that's cool, you get, you're, you're here to listen, let me just talk to you about this, uh, let, me, let me share with you about all of these things, and, and they would kind of just be, uh, some of them were very unhelpful, because all they would say is like, it's all right, Nate, like, I know you, I know that girl, you guys are going to get back together, we never did, that person's not a prophet, should stone them, um, but you know, I started just talking to people, I was talking and talking and talking, and after a little while, I, I was like, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I've done all my talking. And I was like, what is that all about? Well, the, the research shows that how we grow necessarily involves us sharing with people. I was like, when I was reading that, I was like, that explains everything. You see, the research shows that when we don't feel like we can share the struggle, when we, when we feel constrained in our ability to say, hey, this really hurts. When people, you know, are dismissive, maybe they say, mate, that was a 10-month relationship. Just chill. You're young. You'll find another girlfriend. Don't worry. You're still a good guy. You know, when people say that and they shut down you being able to share, if I didn't share, that would have stopped my growth. But I found people, like I said, some who are more immature than me who are just willing to listen. The research doesn't say go find advisors or people that are wiser than you. It just says find a person who is breathing who will listen to you without judgment. 
kind of interesting. And, and so I shared, I shared, and I shared, and I shared. And then as I went through this deconstruction process, I continued to talk about it. It was actually helping me process. It was holding the situation in my mind as I was trying to work things out. And finally, when I was uh, nearing the, the end of that and I was already in a reconstruction process, this is where the research is, is really strong. It says that if you don't articulate how you've grown, the growth can actually slide back. It says that when you've articulated and actually shared it with another person, the growth that you have gone through, suddenly it's like it's placed in concrete. It's stable. It, it's established. And so I, I thought that was fascinating. Isn't it interesting that God has created us for relationship, to be in community? Isn't it interesting that God says that when you're alone, even how hard you try, your growth is going to be stunted. That you, you're, you cannot grow internally by yourself. That's what even psychology is saying. I absolutely love that. And doesn't that sound like discipleship the way that we've been talking about it? That when we journey with a person, say, okay, yeah, you know, you, you're struggling. And this is great for people that want to disciple, want to live out to what God is saying. Because you don't have to be the wiser, better person. You just have to be kind and lend your ear. You just have to be loving and say, I'm here for you. And I, sometimes we struggle and we think that as a disciple, I need to have answers to all of your problems. I don't. God does, and I just need to point you to Him. And quite often, by you pouring your heart out, you will find God. I love that those people just allowed me to be and allowed me to grow. And through that, set in motion a whole bunch of growth that continues to this day. How powerful is that? And I love that that's how God wants to relate with us. He's not a transactional God who just says, okay, now think this thought, proclaim this thought, and suddenly you're all good to grow. No. God actually says you need to break down, transform. You need to build up new thought patterns that include uh, your, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And that is a process of growth. What I was hoping to achieve, because I was, like, I was really excited to teach about this today, but then in my heart I was like, well, how do I land this plane, God? How, what, what happens from here? Well, I hope that, as I invite the band up this morning, I hope that from here that you will commit to the process of growth. That's the simple way of saying it. I think so often we, um, one of the patterns of this world that is particularly scary for me is that we label ourselves based on our dysfunctions. We say, I'm not good enough. That's just me, I'm an anxious person. Oh, no, no, you don't get me, Nate. I'm just emotional. Yeah, we're all emotional human beings. God has given us emotions. You just don't know how to deal with them. You know? And said, so, yeah, yeah, you know, alcoholism is running my family. It's just part of my genetics. We, 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 we place all these lids on ourselves. I said, like, that's just how I am. That's how I am. That's how you are right now, but that doesn't need to be how you will be. And I love that God doesn't give us grace just to be who we used to be. 
but hey, God's giving us grace to become so much more that as we are presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our true and proper worship of God, that we are releasing ourselves from the conformity to the ways of this world and we are walking in the transformation that God has given to us so that we can be different. Different is not better or there's no value attached to that because we already are a new creation in Christ. But what's the point of being a new creation in Christ but going back to the dirt that we used to roll around in? Rather, I would be a new creation in Christ and learn how that creation is meant to be according to God's design so that His life can flow through me. And so I want us to commit to change. I want us to commit to be ceiling breakers in our life. I want us as a church to look at ourselves and go, you know, that's an old schema that is based on the world, on my experiences. And look, some of those experiences are real. Some of those experiences are so real. Some of the hurt that you have walked through is so real. And I'm not saying that tomorrow you'll be able to change. It's not instant. But as you go about this process of renewal, the renovation of your heart and of your mind, Paul says you'll be able to hear God. You'll be able to test His good and pleasing will. You'll be living in His design. You'll be living in life. So every eye closed, every head bowed. Firstly, I want to give an opportunity to people who say, you know what, I actually am ready to walk with God. I I, I want to be with God. I I don't want to just keep going through life this way. I actually want this grace that has been made available to me. If that is you, I would love you to just repeat uh, with me this prayer. And everyone just repeat it as well. Dear Jesus, I know that you came and died for my sin. I want to invite you into my life. Forgive me and make me whole. Make me a new creation. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.